Welcome to the School of the Word. This is lesson four in our teaching series, a study of the book of Acts with Paul's writings titled Chapter One. Our teacher is Alan Smith. We do welcome everyone here this morning once again to the house of the Lord to study His Word and try to gain more understanding that we might walk in this life that we're walking in and out of. It's exciting, isn't it? Or does anybody need part of mine? <laughs> it's exciting. And uh, I, uh, in this teaching, as I like to do, I like to open it with a little, sometimes a little quote or something. This is a teaching of the book of Acts. This will be lesson four, chapter one. But my little quote is this. Your life is a story of transition you're always leaving one chapter behind and moving on to the next. Anonymous. Anybody bear witness with that one? It's just a lot of us don't like change. I'm not saying everything has to change. Some things stay the same. For instance, Karen just led us in a, a worship tune there. It was actually Psalm 27 is what you were singing. She just took Psalm 27 and put it to, a, to some notes, and we sang it. That is probably, if you heard Trevor's teaching on the Tabernacle of David, which I thought was a wonderful teaching, very enlightening. And I'll even use it a little bit today. I will claim that part of the teaching as my own. That was a joke and not Trevor's. And it's a very good teaching, very good understanding. But as Karen led us in Psalm chapter 27, that's probably what was singing and the worship in the Tabernacle of David were those psalms and those words. So whether you knew it or not, you were probably singing exactly what David sang. And I think that's interesting. Thank you, Karen, for leading us in that. So your life is a story of transition. You're always leaving one chapter behind while moving on to the next. And the reason I like that one because it really gives us an understanding of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is there. It is, is that quote. You're actually leaving one chapter going on to the next. You're, it's progressive in nature, we say. It's a transitional book, just as your life is transitional. And there's not anyone in here that can deny that your life is not transitional. You're moving from one day to the next. We like to stay this, everything to stay the same. We like to, most of us don't like change. There are some people like me that say we like change. That's not really the truth. I'm not gonna say it's a lie, but it's not really the truth. I just try to embrace the inevitable. <laughs> can you hear what I'm saying? It's just inevitable that life's going to change. It's inevitable that life is a transition from one day till the next. We see the book of the book of Acts and also the book of Revelation. We call them transitional books. Book of Hebrews is also considered a transitional book, but we'll get into this. Now we ended up with a chronology of Acts and the epistles. I handed out a paper last week. Maybe some of you did not get one. Did everyone get a paper? Some did not. I meant to bring them again and I forgot them. Here, Star, I have one copy on me. And that paper, we'll do the last few pages of that, showing how it works chronologically. The book of Acts, you, know, you got the book of Acts, covers, say, 32 years. And in that 32-year period, you insert the Apostle Paul's writings. And as you insert his writings over a 32-year period, we already understand that the Apostle Paul was called him up into the third heaven several times, and he got revelations from Jesus. And he came here, and then he dispensed it, 
we call it. He spoke it to the earth, and that was the information in most of Paul's writings. So this is the uh, last part of this of that paper that I gave you. I'll try to remember to bring some more next week for some of you that would like that copy. It's covering basically a 32-year time period. So we got at A.D. 65 here, you'll see this was, you got Acts, we went up through Acts 28, 28, and then Paul had other writings after Acts 28, 28. Why do I use Acts 28, 28? There's actually, I think, 31 verses in the book of Acts, or of chapter 28. But what happens is Paul has some writings after 28:28. Paul recites, and I'll get into that today, a verse of Scripture that shows where and what God does with Israel at this time. So we see 2 Timothy was written around 66. Now we know that's written after the Acts period because Acts period ended in, say, around 64. So that shows you how far after that it was written. We got Jude, I even put those after Acts, these books that were written. Here's Martyrdom of Paul, Destruction of Jerusalem, around 71 AD. Then starts the writings of John, and here are the writings of John's three epistles, which is around 90 AD, and then Revelation around 96. Now, to some who believe, there are some Christians that believe that the book of Revelation has already taken place. And to those that believe that, they believe that John wrote the book of Revelation around 71 AD, and they're calling the destruction of Jerusalem in that little time period as when the book of Revelation took place. And it's amazing how a lot of events that happened then could look like that. I mean, but I would be hard-pressed if you were a Jew in Hitler's camps, you would say, if this isn't tribulation, I don't want to see it, right? So there's a lot of things that would match. And one reason that these things match is even though the Antichrist is not here, we do know that the spirit of the Antichrist has already been released. It's upon the earth. And so a lot of the spirit of the Antichrist, he's always constantly trying to bring on this great battle of the end. God is the one who holds it back. But those that hold to that, say that the book of Revelation was basically fulfilled in 71, so therefore they believe that Revelation had to have been written right in that period or right after. But the, one of the major problems I have with that is right when that happens, Satan is to be bound for a thousand years. And best I can tell, he's still running around doing pretty good. If he's not running around on earth today, he's, he's got some pretty good first cousins or something. I don't know what's going on. So then we see the book of Revelation around 97, death of John, around 100. And that's all in that paper. Now, I will constantly be referring to this chronological order of the book of Acts and Paul's writings because it's important to understand how truth unfolds. The book of Acts is a transitional book. So therefore, why is it transitional? It's because fresh and new information is being imparted always remembering that when God gives new information, he does not have to apologize for the previous information. It all builds upon each other. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. So as I, I'm talking about new information, I am talking about it in light of adding to the old information. It brings more understanding. Some people will say, okay, when you get new information, all the old information stops. It's just beyond me why to say that. The truth is mankind couldn't handle all the information at one time. 
to show you the plan of God that's been going on now for a long time, pretty heavy for 2,000 years, just so God can show us what is really going on. That's how in-depth this information that God's revealing is. Now, we want to understand that Paul really did not stop living the life of a Jew on the road to Damascus. He was a Jew, killing Christians, road to Damascus, Acts 9. He's struck down by this light. Then he, he discovers that he's persecuting the Christians and he's persecuting whom Jesus came for. He repents and then he starts agreeing and taking this message. But you got to understand what he repented of. What he repented of or what he accepted was that Jesus was the Messiah. That's what he, he repented of. He was saying, no, Jesus is not the Messiah. So he was more orthodoxy, I guess you could say, a Jew. And he saw Jesus as some rebel coming against that Jewish doctrine. And so he was killing those believers. But then he got converted and the conversion was Jesus is the Messiah. His conversion on the road to Damascus was that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. His later revelations were given to him, and we can read these in his writings. So his first encounter with Jesus was that Jesus was the Messiah. Then he had more encounters with Jesus, and Jesus gave him more information to put on the information that Jesus is the Messiah, understanding that the information that Jesus is the Messiah is the prophesied program for God through the whole Old Testament. So there again, when Paul got that information, it didn't change that Jesus was the Messiah. It didn't change that Jesus was the king of the Jews. It did not change that Jesus was going to sit on the throne of David and rule and reign over land from a throne. It didn't change any of that. It just meant Jesus is the Messiah. From Paul's conversion to his first writing was about 20 years. First writing being 1 Thessalonians. So isn't that amazing? You wouldn't think, when you're reading the book of Acts, you would think in a week or two, then he wrote 1 Thessalonians. But that's not the case. It was about 20 years before, and a lot of things happened to him. He went out into Arabia. He had a lot of things going on in that 20-year period. Then he writes the book of 1 Thessalonians. So 20 years of the church, the early church, you did not have Paul's writings. So what was the message that 20 years? That Jesus was the Messiah. You killed the king. Now, a few things happened to Peter. You know, he had a dream or had a vision, if you will, about Gentiles starting to come in at a different level up until that point. That's the reason we say it's transitional. Peter had a vision that Gentiles were going to be started being included with Israel. Up until that time, a Gentile had, could come into the synagogues but had to sit on the back row. You were called a proselyte. And so that was your status. Then Peter got this vision and said, oh no, here we go. So when Peter had the vision that the Gentiles were included, you got to understand, we can see where now it was hidden in prophecy, Old Testament, but it's, you really got to know it before you can find it. But nonetheless, we had this idea of the Gentiles being a people of God alongside the Jews. It wasn't yet revealed that we would be of equal status. Then it went on and, and was revealed, well, it's not that we're of equal status, it's that there is no status. So that's a transition, though. You go from no status to you got status to you got equal status. No, now there's no status. Now there's no difference. So that took about 30 years of imparted revelation by the Holy Spirit to bring us along that. So can you see now why we call Acts a book of transition? So God didn't just pop it out there 
through time, he revealed his truth just like he has here in this book of representing 6,000 years. But isn't that what makes our Bible so remarkable? So from Paul's conversion to his first writings, 20 years. So Paul always went to the Jew first until Acts 28, 28. So we know that Jews, Paul's status didn't change. He was still a Jew after he got born again on the road to Damascus. He didn't wake up on that road to Damascus, Acts 9. He got blinded, and then he awoke and from his blinded sight and say, oh, I'm a Christian. It's not the way it happened. And the reason I say that, I want you to see the progression of it on how God keeps adding to truth. So it says, so Paul always went to the Jew first up to Acts 28, 28. So we got that 20 years. He got Acts representing 30 years. So up until about 50 A.D., a little, give or take, a year or two, Paul's going to the Jew first. Then you got about 12, 14 years, Paul went to the Jew first, but then he writes the book of Romans. Paul starts getting this understanding. It's almost like Israel's blinded or something. So then he writes this, the book of Romans, and he said, so for about 14 years, Paul still goes to the Jew first. But he's realizing in those 14 years and in some of his writings, he imparts to us, hey, I think Israel's been blinded here. And then by the time he gets to Acts 28, 28, Paul says, okay, here's the prophecy in Isaiah. The Holy Spirit gave Paul revelation of this prophecy where they were so hard-hearted that he was just going to blind them. And Paul said, I will now take the gospel to the Gentiles and they will hear it. Now that's huge, and that's Acts 28, 28. It's a line of demarcation, if you will. It is a huge verse because he cites this prophecy of Old Testament. All of a sudden you see it. Yes, this is what God was talking about. And so when this happens in Acts 28, 28, we know at that point that Paul never goes to the synagogue first after that moment. He just goes to the Gentiles. And he says, I'll take the gospel to them. And he says, and they will hear it. So we are sitting here post Acts 28, 28. We're the crowd that's supposed to hear it. And Jesus spoke of us because he said, there's a crowd coming. The Jews have to see to believe, but there's a crowd coming that won't have to see, but yet believe. So what does that mean? That means if you come into this church house and you have to see miracles before you'll believe, you're probably not going to ever believe because the Holy Spirit is given to us Gentiles in a way. Go figure. If you ever one of you check, you got born again, not because you saw a miracle, but it's actually because you heard of the miracle of the gospel and you were converted. Now, when we come in here, we have this mentality of God will just do a bunch of miracles, a bunch of people get saved. Now, I'm not saying God can't do a bunch of miracles because he can, but that's not the recipe for salvation today. Look at the biggest ministries on the planet. One of our main leaders, he just passed away. Somebody want to tell me who that is? Who was a great preacher over all the earth? Billy Graham. All right, Billy Graham, the greatest, one of the greatest ministries we've seen to date on the earth, as far as reaching the masses. What did he do? Did he do it by signs and wonders? No, he did it by preaching the gospel that you got born again. You didn't have to see signs and wonders. You heard the gospel and you got saved. That's what he was doing. Then you had Reinhard Bonnke out there. He didn't do preach signs and wonders. He embraced them. So he preached the gospel. People got saved. But it just so happens that a lot of miracles happened around Reinhard Bonnke that we didn't see happen. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. But we didn't see them on the magnitude it did with Reinhard Bonnke. Reinhard Bonnke really, though, came along more or less afterwards more than Billy Graham. So when I see a Billy Graham doing what he did with the gospel, that's who we are. 
were post-Acts 28, 28 people. It doesn't change the fact that the Jews require a sign. So when I see the sign gifts getting stronger and stronger as the gospel's given, I know we're getting closer to the end because God's still going to fulfill what he said to Israel. So the Jews tend to need to see more signs to believe God's in our midst. Now they'll get saved the same way as us, convicted of sin and repent and receive the Spirit. But don't be surprised if your congregation is peppered with more Jews that it's not peppered with more signs and wonders. Can anybody hear what I'm saying here? And that's what happens. So you've you gone out there to Reinhard Bonnke, there was more Jews in his congregations from different descendants than it is in America, but we'll not get into all of that. You see what group of people, so what do we want to do? We want to give the gospel. And when the presence of God's here, we should have healings and miracles happening in our congregations and no, but not an individual implementing the, the miracle. It says we're in here worshiping God, giving the gospel. And because the presence of God is among us, this person gets healed of that, this one gets that, this one gets this. That's what we call a revival. It's when God's in our midst, being God, we're the people of God understanding we don't have to see miracles to believe. We don't have to see them. I like to see them. I'm encouraged to see them. If I start seeing a lot, it just comes to my mind. If it's right or wrong, it comes to my mind, oh, we must be some Jews in the house. God loves to do it for his people because he promised them. It's just in their DNA. If I don't see a miracle, I don't know it's from God. But that particular part of your spiritual DNA is not a requirement by you whether you realize it or not. It's not a requirement. We love it, we promote it, and we give it, and we embrace it. But it's not that we require it. If you required a miracle every time you came into this church house or you wouldn't come, this house would be empty, right? That was our requirement. We're a people of grace. Israel's a people of prophecy. Let's move on. I don't expect you just to believe everything I say. I do ask you to consider it, be as a Berean, study the scriptures. But at least don't turn me off and, and watch the scriptures as they unfold. Because I promise you, once you see the scriptures and the perfectness of it's how they fit together, once you see it, you'll never forget it. So Paul's writings during this period were still trying to convert the Jew into a Christ follower, plus speak to the Gentiles at the same time. That's where you get in Corinthians. There's a Jew here and there's a Gentile there. You know the scriptures. It's like, well, okay, here's a Jew, here's a Gentile. Well, speak in tongues, some's going to think you're mad. Now, why is that? Well, the Jews required them to speak in tongues or something, or they never would have believed it. And the other ones think, well, I don't require it. You had a mixed congregation, and they're in transition. Paul's first stop until Acts 28, 28. Acts 13, but when they departed from uh, Perga, they came to Antioch in Felicia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. I've told you this before, but here we see that Paul went there. First place he went was to a synagogue. Acts 14, it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks believed. You see that? First place he went there though in Iconium was to the synagogue of the, of the Jews. And it says that many believed. And I told you, Paul went to the Jew first for 20 or 30 years. He went to the synagogues first. Half of them believed him, or so many of them believed him. So then he was run out of the synagogue, and then he goes down the road and starts a church. So Paul split. It was a church split of synagogues that was the early churches. It was converted Jewish believers out of the synagogues that Jesus was the Messiah. 
And then he went down the road, and a lot of people say, well, Alan, are you against the church split? And I always tell people I'm all for it as long as Paul's the one that does it. Acts 19.8. And he went to the synagogue, there he is again, and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, he was saying, talking about the kingdom of God, you got to understand the context of what he's really saying. He's saying, Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. That's what he was saying, things concerning the kingdom. He was saying, Jesus, he was preaching, Jesus, the Messiah, he's the king. And if we'll repent of killing him, Acts 3, God will send him back. And that's what we call the second coming. Acts 28, 17, and it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, men and brethren, though I have been committed, nothing against the people or uh, customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered a prisoner from Jerusalem unto the hands of the Romans. So here, when he did Acts 28, 28 happen, we see Paul was a prisoner of Rome, they evidently weren't too scared of him. I mean, it was kind of like a house arrest. He was, but nonetheless, he was, he was a prisoner, and he wrote a lot of his writings during this time. But this, you see, that's Acts 28, 17. He had not declared Acts 28, 28 yet, but he was still in Rome. And so he still went there, and he called together. As soon as he got there, you know the story before that shipwreck and all that finally got him to Rome. First thing he did was he called the Jewish leaders of Rome. And he had not been given the revelation of, of Isaiah of the verse Acts 28, 28 yet. Because here he's still going to the Jew first. Probably won't start another church, tell you the truth. Okay. Paul fully understood God's call. Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So Paul understood that call. It's to the Jew first, then to the Greek. Paul knew Israel was and still is the covenant and prophetic people of God through whom came the promised Jewish Messiah. Romans 9, 4 through 5. Who are Israelis to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory of the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and promises? Who are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came? Who is over all? God bless them forever. So we see this that who are they? And he goes on to that. And Romans gives us the whole understanding. Paul carried a burden of responsibility. I call it Paul did not go to the Jew first because it was easy, but because it was God's order. That was just God's plan. It was his order until that time. Paul deeply loved Israel for they were his own. Romans 9, 3, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I just wished I was almost accursed for this gospel message that I've been getting. He's saying, I love my people so much, is what he's saying. He'd rather taken the curse himself. Now, Paul, when he's in Rome and his ministry to the Jews here, we see in Acts 28, 23 through 31, and when they had appointed him a day, there came many unto his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses, isn't that interesting, and out of the prophets. In other words, Paul was persuading them that Jesus is the king. He is that Messiah out of the law of Moses, what was promised to the prophets from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not. There you have the beginning of another church. Acts 25, and when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word, well, spake the Holy Ghost, here we go, by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall under and not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. 
So Paul starts quoting this. He gets the revelation. This is now. He starts quoting it in 27. For the heart of this people is wax gross or hard. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and they will hear it. Right, that's a line in the sand right there. And after that, historically, it's documented that Paul did not go to the Jewish synagogues after that. And when he had said these words, of course, he didn't live too much long after that. These words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning, it says, among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So here we have Paul. He has the revelation on the road to Damascus that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the king. Then as he moves on in the next 20 years, he preaches that to Israel. Then we got another 12 years or so. He gets some of his writings and he writes them down in, in the book and letters. And he starts preaching. He starts getting the revelation and understanding that the nation Israel is that their hearts are hardening, their eyes are getting dull, they're not receiving the truth. It looks like even though he went to Jewish synagogues every time, he got less converts as it got towards the end. Their hearts got harder, they wouldn't accept the Messiah. Paul had less success in the latter part as he did in the earlier part. Another place, Paul, somebody was sick. Paul said, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. That gives us this idea. We start seeing, well, the miracles aren't quite as hot as they were, but we know that Israel was hardening. So the signs and wonders were not quite as strong as they were in Acts 2, 3, but we know the hardening of Israel was happening. And Gentiles, we don't have to see the miracles. So my point being, the level of miracles, I believe, is about the same now as it was along Acts 28, 28. We have miracles, but it's out of God's grace, His mercy, when He chooses to do it. Do I think we're to, to offer it out of obedience to the Scriptures? We offer it every time. But are we going to see it? The point of the miracles was to prove unto the nation Israel that the Messiah was on the scene. Now we're living in a day of grace, and all of a sudden, this secret that God have, we're to receive Him by His grace and His mercy. And we're to yield to following His Spirit wherever He takes us. That's, where, that's just where I see that we are. You can test what I say. Now, as we get towards the end, do I think that the signs or wonders are going to heat up more than I think yes? I would love to be part of that movement. I'd love to have that anointing. I'd love to have the anointing to give the gospel message the salvation of Christ into his kingdom. And I'd love to have the anointing of gifts of healings and miracles so I'd go around and persuade every Jew on the planet that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I'm not saying you can't get a Gentile or two off of it, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying we, we can't get a few stragglers. Sometimes people, I guess, are more hard-headed than others. So God can do anything. One thing about the day of grace, God can do anything He wants to, okay? I'm just saying this gives us an idea of the Scriptures of what was historically happening in those moments. Now, I'm going to... That's just a little outside understanding I like to give in doing the book of Acts to give us some parameters of kind of where I'm coming from, what I'm doing. And now we're going to start in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, now let's look at it right quickly. The beginning of it is about the resurrection of Christ. It's about the apostolic commissioning. So we here we see a commissioning to the apostles. We have a commissioning, an earlier commissioning that we want to call the Great Commission too, but this is another same thing going on here, commissioning. The promise of the return of Jesus to the earth happens in chapter 1. Of the 10 days waiting for the Spirit. 
happens in chapter 1. The choice of Mathis and why not Paul, well, you've got to understand Paul doesn't come along to about Acts 9, 10, which would put you somewhere around, I don't know, probably two years, give or take some time. Paul didn't come on the scene to probably two years or so after the choice of Mathis. Now, why Mathis? Well, you know what happened to Judas, right? Everybody knows the story of Judas. So that, that put them down to 11 apostles. Well, they knew, and I'm going to use some scripture, that they had to have 12 apostles to sit on the throne with Jesus to rule and reign over Israel. I'm going to hit those scriptures. They had to have 12, not 11, 12 apostles. Judas was kicked out. They knew we got to replace him pretty quickly because since we've repented, when Jerusalem's converted, Jesus is going to come back. They were looking for him to come back the next week or two. So they say, we got to put another apostle in there. Well, you got to understand, some people say, well, he shouldn't have done it. But Peter had the keys of the kingdom. So whatever Peter bound on earth is bound in heaven. It's done under the leadership of the Holy Ghost. So we know Mathis is a true disciple, a true apostle. But the problem is you got Paul, that's the 13th apostle. Well, prophecy doesn't speak of 13, it speaks of 12. And that's another reason we know that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, which is the apostle under the mystery or secret. The mystery and secret's not in prophecy. It's under mystery, Ephesians 3. So that distinction, you've got to maintain the distinction of the secret that God's doing to the earth. I mean, look, look how it's worked. Look how, much, look how many Christians are on the earth. I know we like to say how bad off we are, but there's a, there's a lot of folks. If he'd held it just to the Jewish nation, it wouldn't have got out like it is now. God knew that. He had a secret, and his stealth maneuver was called the church. He had a secret. He didn't reveal it until the apostle Paul. And that's the reason Paul's number 13. He's not number 12. So the 13th guy is not in prophecy. The 13th guy's under mystery or secret. So why not Paul? That's why. Matthew 19. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory... Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Peter and those guys knew that. They knew this was the next thing coming. This is the next thing that's on the scene, was what Jesus talked about. So we got to fill up this vacancy, and that's what went on with Mathis. I just want you to see that. <laughs> you shall sit upon these twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, we get into Acts 1.1, the former treatise have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, we see here that the former treatise refers to the Gospel of Luke. The book of Acts is Luke, Volume 2. That's just very important. If you want to help you understand Acts, just read the book of Luke. At the end of Luke, right over in Acts 1, keep reading through the end of Acts, and you'll have a very good presentation of what's going on. Theopolis' name means a lover of God. They're not really sure if that's his name or a nickname or just a name that they were assigning to him because he was a lover of God. Theopolis is the name or honorary, honorary title of the person to whom the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles are addressed. Luke addressed Theopolis as a prominent man, a responsible person whose naming indicates a close walk with God. So this is who that this letter is titled to. It indicates the teachings take place at the same time of the doing. Now, Former treatise is what he's saying there. He both began to do and teach. The point being that he didn't just teach. In other words, Jesus would go out in Jerusalem. He'd do miracles. He'd do all these things. Why was Jesus doing all these miracles? We start understanding it's because he was trying to convert the Jewish nation that he was the Messiah. They required to see him do these miracles. And there's an, also another thing to that little thought. They were looking to go into the thousand-year reign of Christ. 
So Jesus was healing all those people. According to prophecy, they wasn't going to die. He was healing them to go right into the millennial reign of Christ. There again, here's a little, little sidetrack to the prophecy. They all died. So we can see something changed. Something happened on why did all these healed people die. That's just another, as you're doing Bible study, that you start catching on to. So he said the things that he, another point here is Jesus would go out through Jerusalem, do all this stuff. He would teach, but he would also do. He would do all this stuff. Actually, he would do more during the day. They'd go back to the mountain, build a campfire, and the disciples would say, now, Jesus, what meaneth this? So then he'd start teaching on what he did. Today, we try to teach, so we'll go do. The biblical model is you do, and then you talk about it. Isn't that a little odd? The point being, you can trust God with what you're to do. I also say this, we're trying to get ready to serve God. No, you serve God, and then you get ready. I know that goes against the grit and the grain, but it's the ways of the Spirit. It's called relationship is greater than your brain, okay? And we're going to get into more of that. Introduction. The book of Acts is continuing. It is, uh, yeah, it is a transition between the kingdom message and the church. All right. It starts off with the kingdom message, holding to biblical prophecy, Jesus is the Messiah. Then it makes a transition into the church. The book of Acts is a transitional book from the gospel of the kingdom into the gospel of the grace of God. It's a transition. Now, when I say the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of the grace of God includes the gospel of the kingdom of God. But the gospel of the kingdom of God in the beginning does not necessarily contain the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, you've heard me say it, three includes one and two, one and two doesn't include three. You see, I, have, I am bound, some people I think mess up here, they'll say, well, this is the time of the gospel of the grace of God, the kingdom's over. I'm like, how do you biblically do that? But what, truthfully, what people's trying to do is put an emphasis on the grace of God. Yeah, I get that. But you can't pull it apart from the gospel of the kingdom because the gospel of the grace of God comes out of the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Listen, Jesus is my Messiah too, right? He's your Messiah. I'm in the kingdom of God. You are too. We just found out, though, that the reason we're in there is not because of our own merit. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jews were trying to do it by their own merit. Give animal sacrifice. We're obedient, yada, yada, yada. We found out, no, it's all in Jesus now, right? So we include, that's the reason do I believe in miracles today. Yeah, it includes that. It totally includes it. But now I'm not even saying God can't do it. God can do anything you want to in day of grace. But my message is I don't have a healing revival and then give the gospel message. Now, I want to tell you something. Do I believe that there's been those that's had a healing revival that was God? And the answer is yes. You say, well, not, you just said the opposite. Here's what I'm saying. When I'm teaching you what the Bible is saying, here's the way it goes. That's what I'm teaching you. With the caveat, God can do anything He wants to at any time He wants to, any way He wants to, any how He plays, way He wants to. And then the day of grace, for sure. The day that we're living in is the same day that was pre-Abraham. Abraham was the first Hebrew Jew. He said, I'm going to pick this man to be the father of this nation. Up until Abraham, God spoke to the earth. He'd pick this one, he'd pick that one, he'd pick another one. That's what we call the day of the grace of God. God shifted. He didn't shift. He moved forward and said, I'm going to use a nation to show everybody how you act. He used the nation Israel. Now we're in the time of the mystery or secret that's the same grace of God it was pre-Abraham. What does that mean? God can do anything He wants to at any time He wants to, any way He wants to, anyhow He wants to. So people come to me and somebody's performing miracles, they got a gift of miracles, and they say, well, Alan's that in the Bible. I'll say, yes, because God can do anything He wants to. I'm just being very honest with you. God does stuff today that I don't think He should be doing. You too, huh? 
To me, it's very liberating to know that God can do anything He wants to at any time He wants to, ever how He wants to. That means to me the sky's the limit when I offer the kingdom of God. I remember I led a guy to the Lord. He actually goes to this church. I'll not call his name. He goes to this church, and he was a very active man. I don't know how else to say it. Very active fellow, very active. He'd scare most people. And I remember he came to me. He was going to commit suicide. And I thought, okay, he's going to shoot me, and he's going to shoot himself. It's really and truly what I thought. Very, he's kind of a terror of a type personality at that time. I promised him everything God said in his word, plus stuff I made up. I'm telling you what's the truth. I promised him all kinds of stuff. And he left from there, prayed the prayer to receive Christ. He left angry. He came angry, left angry. I saw him about two days later. He came in, and I don't know where he found the Bible. He's a flea market somewhere. He said it looked like one of them Bibles you put on a family Bible. And he threw it down on the table. Everything on the table turned up shook. I never forget, it scared the bejeebies out of me. And he said, looked at me and he smiled. He said, Alan, it worked. It's set free. I promised him everything but the new kitchen sink. You say, well, Alan, you shouldn't have done that. It worked. God honored it. Here's what we've got to understand. I'm teaching you line upon line. I'm teaching you Bible and we'll continue to do so. But understand something in this day of grace that we're living in. We are of a generation that does not require anything of God. Everything's already been done. We are the generation that receives and accepts what God has done for us. Inside of that means God can do anything He wants to, and He'll do stuff that's not in this book, and He'll do stuff that will surprise you and scare you to death. We are in a greater time than just Acts chapter 2. We got Acts chapter 2 plus whatever God gets up this morning and thinks. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's going to be a day that this time's going to stop again, just like it did pre-Abraham. God did that, and it stopped. Listen, God at pre-Abraham, it was grace and judgment. Just kind of anything goes with God. Then he did the Jewish nation. Then he came back to this grace day with the uh, given to us in, this last, in the book of Acts. Then there's going to be a time this day's over, and he's going to go back into judgment day. But you've got to understand something. All of this happens. It's pre-eternity. This is just pre-eternity. When God gets done with this final judgment of pre-eternity, we've got eternity to rule and to reign with Him. And i got a feeling it's going to be a ride. But I also believe, I am so persuaded that God will do what's in His Word. But I'm also persuaded, and this one gets me in trouble, that He'll do more that's in His Word. And it'll be in unity with His Word, even if it's more, because He's God. At one time, I'd stood before people and I limited what God said. Never again. I'll declare that God's God we're his people, and we're asking, God, you be God, and we'll be your people. And the people of God said, amen. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for this day, for your word. I ask and pray, oh God, that anything I've said is not of you, it fall to the ground. But if anything that I've said is of you, I pray, oh God, it'll be spoken to our hearts, that we'll realize that you are a limitless God. There are no limits on you, Jehovah. Help us to get that in our minds. There are no limits. There's no one too far away. There's no one who's done something that's irreversible. There's no sinner that's too much of a sinner and too lost to be saved. And also, oh God, that you will choose anyone that you choose because you choose it, not because we earn it, but because you have chosen to serve you in a great and a mighty way. 
Fill us, O oh God, with your spirit this day. Forgive us of our trespasses and our sin. But fill us with your spirit of joy, peace, courage, humility. It's our prayer, O oh God, that our hunger for you would grow so intense that it would cause our hands to go up into the air asking you for more. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen.